there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. Exciting time to be involved in Bitcoin Cash at the moment. During that whole war, Viking versus big blocks, like were we the bad guys? Were we the ones that went listening? Fundamentally, we believe in markets, transparency, and tokenization. Come on, you gotta come stronger than that, you know, like. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast. Following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. This is episode number 73, Collapsing Banks and USDC DPEGs featuring Dynapawns. Today is Sunday, the 12th of March, 2023. I'm your host, Jeremy, with a brand new Shua SM7B microphone, the one that Joe Rogan and every other podcaster under the sun and Michael Jackson used on the Thriller album. So it <laughs> should be sounding good. Uh, Jet is doing the producing as always. And our guest today is a recent uh, returnee from episode 71. Of course, we had a bit of a group discussion with him, but didn't get into all uh, great detail of what he's doing in the crypto space and how he got there. So I thought uh, a big contributor to the BCH space and definitely deserved full episode. So I would say uh, you came in based on the smart BCH thing, actually, as far as I know. So I'm very interested to hear how things develop from one crypto to another and then brought into the smart BCH ecosystem and then BCH and then here we are today. So welcome to the show, Dynapoints. How do you get into Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me back on the show. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, the way I got into Bitcoin is it started with, I think, Matic token. I, I was in a few cryptocurrencies before that. So I, I began with, with Bitcoin first, actually. So I was in Bitcoin. I just, that was what I heard about. And um, what year was I, that? It was back in 2015 is when I got in. So I actually got in a little bit late. Uh, I don't know what I was doing before that. That's I just still pretty early, man. <laughs> I, hadn't about, I hadn't heard about crypto at all before that. So I was, I was literally, you know, playing around the stock market. And then I just I heard about these digital currencies and I was, I heard that their market traded 24 seven and that got me interested as well. I was like, wow, it's not regulated or anything. It's just the wild west over here. Let me go see what's going on in this sector. And I got my hands on some Bitcoin and then I started reading about all the different technologies that uh, these cryptos can they, they can do. And I think the very first crypto that got me interested was Ethereum because I saw that there was a DeFi ecosystem and I I love that because, yeah, there was so many applications that you can use. And, you know, I was I was a gamer back then. And this I love seeing that you can build so many different applications on a blockchain. And uh, I was getting into it. And then I realized that the transaction fees were ginormous at the time. And when I thought what I thought was ginormous was only like, you know, six dollars or ten dollars uh, transaction fees. And they just kept going up and up. And I was at the time I was thinking, OK, there's got to be a different crypto, something that's on the up and up that will um, do a better job than Ethereum. And I discovered Matic. So that's when I discovered Matic token. And um, it, Matic at the time was a very small coin. Uh, everyone kept calling it a scam. There were like Indian 
Indian developers and uh, it was only had a market cap of 50 million. And I saw potential and I put all my money in. I had like $40,000 at the time. I put, I was like, all right, I'm putting it all in this thing. And I, I waited, I waited and, um, and it kind of blew up. It, it blew up. It became like, you know, it became like a billion dollar coin and I was really excited, but, um, there was something that I didn't like about Matic and it was just that you couldn't use it for like, you know, transactions and buying things. And I wanted a coin that could do all of it. And at the time I was using Bitcoin cash to move funds around, you know, I would only use it to, to whenever time I need to, to save on transaction fees, I would use Bitcoin cash. I had the cheapest transaction fees, even cheaper than Litecoin. And I thought it was more reliable. And so I would use Bitcoin cash. And then I heard that smart BCH was coming out and I said, okay, well, now, now it has it all. I have, I have exactly what I want. I have the transaction. I can use Bitcoin Cash for transactions, and I can also use it for DeFi. It has an EVM. Perfect. And I took all my Matic token. I sold it. Uh, I sold the majority of it. And um, I said, hey, I'm going to go try out this smart BCH thing. And, uh, you know, I took a, I, I have a, almost all my holdings in Bitcoin cash right now, you know, I keep telling people I have like 11 cents in my bank account. I don't keep, I don't hold fiat really. I just hold Bitcoin cash because I can use it um, to buy everything that I need pretty much. And I also have access to, to DeFi with smart BCH. And, um, and I thought that that's how essentially what, um, what got me involved in BCH and why I'm now here. So what was the process like as you came from uh, into into smart BCH, right? That was what initially grabbed your attention. That's why I saw you commenting and making videos and all that sort of stuff. But then I guess even if you'd been using the main chain before that, and I hear this a lot from a lot of people, they know because they're just transferring between exchanges and they see, oh, Bitcoin Cash has low transfer fees and they just use it, but they never really understand because they never need to all the history and blah 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 what happened right. with all the different forks and all of that were you very up to speed on all of that or did you have to kind of backfill in your research after? no i had to do a lot of research to to understand why bitcoin cash was you know, had the lowest trans transaction fees and why um it seemed better than than all the other cryptos at um being peer-to-peer -peer cash so um me, I love knowing things. So of course, you know, I started digging into, you know, what's what's better, Litecoin? Do I like Bitcoin Cash? Do I like Dogecoin? And you know, after doing extensive research on on all these different uh, cryptos, I, I looked into Tron, I looked into Matic, I looked into uh, I looked into everything. I kept reading and reading every single day. You know, there's so much to learn in the crypto space. Every day is something. It's it's always evolving, always changing, and. I'm always up to date because I'm, I'm usually in front of my computer. I have my, my four monitors in front of me. I'm always looking at so many different things, just reading on one screen, like reading on the other one. I have all these, all the time I'm watching a YouTube video. I have all this information constantly coming at me all the time. And so, of course, I ended up picking up on a lot of the histories and, and reading up on, on, on every single crypto and seeing what's the, the pros and the cons of each one was. And, I landed with Bitcoin Cash. It's, it's it's my favorite crypto. I have I'm able to use it uh, daily, and uh, and yeah, that's that's essentially how I got to, into BCH. So, do you have some tips then for the listeners? So, besides this show, which is obviously the best uh, info you can get on crypto, where do you have any specific places that you really like to you know any YouTube channels or any 
other content creators or I don't know, do you read Coindesk? How do you get the latest up to date across the whole crypto space? Uh, well, I do have some some YouTubers that I love to to follow. Uh, I, I'm really bad at recalling names, but you know, if I check my uh, my YouTube feed, I can I can probably link them. But yeah, uh, for me, it's ma- mainly just I would I, I just do a lot of googling, honestly. So basically, you know, if I want to know about the Matic token, I'll start I'll start googling specific questions, and uh, obviously, I'll look into whatever 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 pops up uh, as the top result. Maybe it's CoinDesk, maybe it's. Uh, uh, crypto store, I don't know, whatever, whatever has the information. I look into uh, various articles, whoever has a, an article on whatever I need to, to know. And I usually ask specific questions that just comes into mind. So it's not really that I go to a specific source and only read from that source. I just have a question in mind. I go on Google and I, I just look it up and uh, see what different answers are. And I also browse uh, different communities. So I'm always on Telegram always listening uh reddit is a good way to you know going on on the cryptocurrency uh subreddit and just um listening to people and hearing their experiences is is really helpful and of course other youtubers who make all their their content uh you know tiktokers whoever anything getting your source from from Every single place is is incredibly useful, I think, to me. Yeah, the reason that I bring this up specifically is because I think it's so interesting that we've now moved into this world where there is so much information available. I mean, obviously, just in generally, but in crypto specifically, if you wind the clock back, there was only a few good places to get info, right? And so everybody was kind of concentrated on those same things. And obviously, as time has gone on, the market has got bigger, more people have come in, more people have specialized in different niches. You have, uh, obviously, Coindesk has been one of the most long standing, but they were already kind of captured by corporate interests. What they report on can be a bit shaky at times, but now you have other like I think uh, the Defiant is one that I pay a bit of attention to. You've got Bankless. You've got obviously a million different podcasts and Telegram groups and Reddit and everything like that. And between all of it, it really just illustrates to me how the world uh, deals with information, right? Because one thing that everybody can check is the price. And that is kind of in some way aggregating all of the information. And so everybody is is watching that. There's nobody that is not watching the price at all, right? Or like maybe some people, but basically nobody is. But then if something happens, let's say a, uh, a cryptocurrency goes down or there's some problem at an exchange or something, how that information filters out to everybody observing is always super interesting to hear because... I'm late to tons of stuff on crypto. I'm not at the epicenter of whatever blow up there is in Solana or something like that. And a lot of the time, I don't even care. I don't follow through. I don't go down the rabbit hole. I don't get to the nth degree of detail in all these coins because I don't care. Crypto is now big enough that the the major market movers, you can keep an eye on once in a while. But for the time being, everything just operates. And if your own stash is essentially not at risk, you're not going to put the time and effort into digging into all these different streams of information. And so that's why you, obviously, and also me to a certain extent, are becoming these synthesizers where it's more about pulling out the relevant bit of of, of information because you can't cover everything and a lot of it ultimately doesn't matter anyway right so i've just i've just found it very interesting uh to see that that transition in the in the cryptocurrency market it's only going to keep getting bigger and bigger right as more and more channels come in more and more of the world becomes interested in in cryptocurrency 
at a certain point, the only truth will be really what's on the blockchain because you'll be able to find a source or an opinion or something supporting supporting any anything else you want. And that's really the whole point of cryptocurrency, right? If it's on, on chain, it's real. And if it's not, <laughs> who knows what's going on? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, quick, let's chat about the price then. Speaking of that, so uh, USD $114.09 down a little bit for BCH. We've got uh, BTC, uh, one BTC is 180.7 BCH. So we're up slightly on the ratio there. And one ETH is now 12.9 BCH. So that's roughly stable as when we did the last episode a couple of weeks ago. So you mentioned uh, Matic and how you kind of sold most of that. You mostly got Smart BCH. Do you play around with any of the other coins at all? You know, you're interested in Ethereum still or Monero? So, maybe? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely still uh, play around with Ethereum. Monero, I just kind of hold it. Um, I think it's 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 a good tech and um, obviously incredibly useful, just like Bitcoin Cash is for for payments um, and and having your your privacy and all that. But as for uh, coins that I play around with, um, I try to stick stick with the the main ones. Right right now, I do Ethereum, uh, Polygon, and recently, I, you know, I've been using you know Dogecoin because of Doge Chain and all that. And uh, that, that's actually a coin that I never thought I would touch because uh, I think for years I've I've always stayed kind of a. Uh, yeah, I haven't touched Dogecoin. I never. I, I I always said I wouldn't touch it because it's it derived from just being a meme coin. And I said I don't. Uh, I don't really go after coins that don't have some sort of utility. But now you know. I think it actually has been evolving into something that could be useful. And because it has the 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 support from a lot of the masses um, and people are building uh, around the coin that uh, I feel more comfortable using it now. Yeah, I don't um, know the latest on that. So, can you give us a bit of a? As far as I'm aware, so Doge Chain is they kind of have their own version of Smart BCH, right? Is that what that is? They do have their own version of Smart BCH, and I think because of what happened with CoinFlex and all that, we have a lot of developers from Smart BCH who have been utilizing Doge Chain in the meantime, and we actually have some some great projects on on Doge Chain from the Smart BCH ecosystem, and it's actually really incredible. Um, a lot of Doge Chain users don't realize how many smart BCH users are actually on their chain and how many of their top projects um, came from the smart BCH ecosystem, such as Mantra, such as Oasis. Their two top marketplaces are smart BCH marketplaces. And I recently had a chat with the the founders of Doge Chain and stuff, and they didn't realize how big um, how big the smart BCH community is in Doge chain, they were actually like bad mouthing BCH a little bit. I said, listen, you can't you can't be doing that because most of your community is actually BCH is BCH members and your top projects are um from are utilizing developers from the BCH community. And uh and that's how I ended up getting more involved with them because then they started talking to me and uh um asking for, you know, how can they improve their their own um uh, DeFi ecosystem. And uh, so far, I think they're doing all right. Um, and I, I think they still have a lot of work to do. I think that uh, they're lacking a lot of uh, people who are willing to work on uh, on their chain. They, they are still more focused, I think, on memes than actual utility. But uh, they, they are definitely on their way. They're, they're, they're trying to, to come up with something, trying to create something that's useful for, 
for Dogecoin. But um, as of right now, Dogechain does not really have the full support of the Dogecoin ecosystem. And that's the problem that they're facing right now. Why not? What's the drama there? Why aren't people in favor of it? Well, uh, the Dogecoin community feels that Dogechain, it, well, they're, they're not related. It's just some side project that someone started. They don't have the support like Shibarium does of the Shiba Inu community. So I think for, for that um, DeFi uh, blockchain that's coming out uh, or is out, um, yeah, they actually have the full support of the Shiba community. But with Dogechain, it's it's not it's not the same and uh I, i'm i've honest i've only like listened to the community in doge chain um so like so much but from what i understand and in their telegram groups and everything uh they they really feel that they need more support from their own community members because right now doge chain is in limbo kind of like smart bchs they don't know what the future of doge chain is going to look like and uh but, but recently, you know, they have been doing some partnerships with Matic and that's how I, uh, you know, they recently did a, a little, uh, they had poly, uh, uh, polyverse uh, event that they, that they had, um, they had like little uh, uh, events and uh, booths in the, the Polygon metaverse. And that was pretty cool to attend. And uh, I think there are some eyes on those shame, but it's not getting as much traffic as it wants. Wow, this is so fascinating because I had no idea about any of this, but that actually makes me think that it's great for BCH if a lot of the devs in Smart BCH sort of kept their project together and have found a kind of alternative source. And I guess we're seeing the power of the EVM ecosystem there where if you've got something and it's working and it's getting right. traction, you put a lot of time and effort into it. Maybe you have a community, you have your telegram, blah, blah, blah. If there's problems like there was with smart BCH, then people can switch over, preserve right. maybe not everything or they can, <laughs> but preserve most of their momentum to what they're doing, migrate it somewhere else. And then when the circumstances are more favorable, hopefully they'll come mm -hmm. back. So it's kind of like, because one of the th main things about Smart BCH was it, it got a lot of traction very quickly for what it was. The growth of the community there was amazing. And so there's a part of in the back of my mind that hopes that we can see uh, some kind of a resolution there and then everybody would, would flood back in. That would be absolutely amazing to see. I don't know what you, you think of the chances of that. Yeah, I think the chances of that are are likely and something that i love to emphasize is the, co the cooperation between different uh blockchains i love that there is that you can move over from smart bch to doge chain utilize their ecosystem while smart bch is having issues i love that you can move from from doge chain to smart bch smart bch to bsc i think that there needs to be more unity and um i love the smart bch community and the bitcoin cash community in general for um not having so much or not having censorship you know we we realized from the bitcoin camp that censorship is not good and we wanted to be more open about that and when going into dogechain actually that is the first thing that i brought up to all the biggest the, all the founders and everything is that they were censoring a lot especially um you know bitcoin cash uh, projects. They were censoring. Every single group was censoring, censoring. And I I, I had to go on their Twitter space and be like, listen, guys, uh, you don't know me, but there there needs to be an end to this whole censoring thing. We need to work together, especially in, in crypto. It's better if everyone works together than work apart. And uh, this, this only makes 
everyone's um, everything grows, not just, oh, you know, if you censor Bitcoin Cash, Dogechain will do better. It's it'll support everybody. It'll make Dogechain grow. It'll make Bitcoin Cash grow. Um, and so that's something that I, I talked to them firmly about. And they've actually been relaxing their censorship uh, recently um, because, you know, there was actually a huge drama. There was huge drama in, in the Dogechain ecosystem with Mantra, which is a project founded on Smart BCH by uh, Morden and, and Kiok. And uh, they, we weren't allowed to talk about these smart BCH projects on Dogechain Telegram groups, or they would ban us. And I had, I was the number one NFT holder of the biggest NFT project on Dogechain, and they banned me for talking about a smart BCH project that is on Dogechain. The number one marketplace on Dogechain is now Mantra. And they banned me for talking about it. And this caused a huge, like huge drama on the chain because they're like, how can you ban the number one holder of your NFT group just for talking about a, a project, a marketplace that you rely on to sell your, your NFTs? This whole censorship thing does not help your project. You're actually hurting your own project for censoring um, for censoring for no reason. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. And it comes down to, I think, the idea that I, I sort of see it as a biological type of analogy where you want cross-pollination. That's good. That's the, the you'll make the strongest crypto community will be, you have to have a balance, right? You have to have right. some kind of unifying vision. You can't just say, okay, just throw everything into the soup. And if everybody has an opinion, then you can't really make any forward progress, right? There does need to be some kind of underlying philosophy and we're going in this direction or we're targeting this niche or whatever. But Bitcoin Cash is not really at risk of having problems with that because it has had the strong mission of peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash in the white paper since the beginning. Everybody understands that. That's 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 great. And I've recently been reflecting a lot on the whole, it's a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, which is something the Bitcoin Cash Audit uh, brings up quite a bit. It's not just about the peer-to-peer -peer payments. Obviously, we have cash tokens coming up or we have the smart BCH integrations to the extent that those things can be brought into the ecosystem, it's all driving transactions, which all pays the miners and secures the chain, right? So it, it, do, it doesn't matter. And actually to compete in the modern crypto marketplace with the maybe the exception of BDC and the stable coins, you, you have to have that stuff. Otherwise, you're just not going to get very far. But luckily, the Bitcoin Cash community, I think, does strike a fairly healthy balance. Maybe we could be a little more welcoming to outsiders part of the reason we aren't is because things go wrong and people get burned and scammed but on the whole right. i think the community does a pretty good job of sort of welcoming new people in and especially of observing other chains to take ideas from from them you know when we see something good happening the bitcoin cash community is very proactive about well could this work here and the answer isn't always yes but at least the thought gets considered do you see a lot of that? Do you think the Bitcoin cash, what, what would you like? You're giving this advice to the Dogechain community. Okay. Problems with censorship and stuff like that. Where would you say the Bitcoin cash community, what advice would you be giving them on? Oh, do we have problems with that? Honestly, I think the Bitcoin cash community does uh, pretty well. Something that I would advise the Bitcoin cash community is that even though we have, we, we gain some hostility from the BTC um, side, we have um, an opposition with the Bitcoin maxis. I I think that um, there shouldn't be so much hostility towards uh, other coins, even even Bitcoin. 
And when I was speaking with some of the Dogecoin founders, they also are um, some Bitcoin maximalists among them. And, you know, they've been telling me that the reason why they are so against Bitcoin Cash, they, they, they were firmly telling me, like, we don't like Bitcoin Cash. And the reason why they're against it is simply because of all the drama that we keep saying that Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin. And we're trying to discredit all the people who use Bitcoin when instead we should just be saying, look, we are Bitcoin Cash. You are Bitcoin. You can be a store of value. We will be cash. We don't want to say, listen, we are everything. You can just go away. You're not useful for anything. Just leave. Um, because obviously there's a, a piece of the, a large community, right? Who believes that Bitcoin is useful for something. You know, they, they, there's a, they're a good store of value, supposedly. I mean, maybe, maybe they're not, maybe they aren't, but we have to be less hostile towards that, uh, I, idea of them believing what they believe. So if they, if they believe that Bitcoin is a good store of value, we should let them have that belief and not be telling them that, listen, your beliefs are dumb. You just come in with the Bitcoin cash camp because we are a store of value and we're cash. But no, I think it's just let, let, the, let both sides exist um, and just keep focusing on the mission of Bitcoin cash, which is becoming a peer-to-peer -peer cash for the world and let Bitcoin focus on their mission, which is going to be uh, being a store of value that does not and that does not have uh, any changes to their to their code base, right? They want to be. They don't want to to change anything about Bitcoin. It's just perfect the way it is. They don't want. They think that that's going to be um, incredibly useful for them. Whereas Bitcoin Cash, we believe in you know scaling our uh, our blocks and growing them larger and larger based on uh, the demands of um, and the space that we require in those blocks. Yeah, it's certainly an evolving space. I mean, I, I don't think there's ever going to, all the animosity is kind of going to die out because at the end of the day, if if the Bitcoin cash community was to give up the whole, we are actually Bitcoin and that kind of stuff, that kind of just wipes away the, the truth essentially <laughs> is that we're never going to be able to get away from the fact that can you read the white paper? If you read the white paper, it's pretty obvious, you know, uh, but apparently to a lot of people it isn't. And so... Yeah, perhaps we can just be slightly better about nudging them in the right direction and saying, well, have you read the white paper? Do you, do you have you read the old Satoshi post? I just feel do at this you, point, they yeah. probably they probably have read the white paper and they um, are still standing by Bitcoin simply because it's it's lasted the test of time. People have it is still the number one cryptocurrency, regardless of what we believe it's. Uh, yeah, what we believe. So we. I think rather than knocking their beliefs, we just say, listen, you can believe what you want. And Bitcoin is still is still Bitcoin, but Bitcoin Cash is uh, it's got more utility. It's got all these great things about it. And you should be looking into it and we should do it in a non-hostile way. That is my opinion. But of course, yeah. everyone's free to their own opinion. Yeah, the communities are certainly diverging over time, which I think is also a helpful thing. As much as I was talking about cross-pollination before, and that's interesting because people who are on the periphery can easily flip back and forth. Nobody nobody knows, nobody following whether or not your, you know, what your investment portfolio is. And it's just kind of the the main players in each ecosystem, the people who are really dedicating a lot of their time and energy or who are building projects in that scene, obviously they can't just jump ship as readily. So We'll see, obviously, if we end up attracting a lot of people kind of at the margins, then Bitcoin Cash will start seeing increased narrative presence just from people saying, oh, you know, Bitcoin Cash is not that bad. And we've been seeing a lot of that over time, I think. So I'm very bullish in in that regard. But 
<laughs> who, who knows you're you're right where only time can heal those uh wounds if we're less hostile about it and hopefully the hostile parts of their communities slowly kind of isolate themselves into more and more of an echo chamber which they seem to be doing anyway right well i think slowly we are actually um time is healing some wounds over time uh, i i think we are seeing more people um look into bitcoin cash and um I believe that uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin can both um, do their, their own thing separately and um, both have some sort of use um, in the crypto space. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, like, <laughs> like I say, only, th- only time will, time time will, will tell, tell. But uh, yeah, you know, it's going to be very interesting to look back in, in five years. Obviously, we're five years out from the fork. And I think the five years, the divergence is only going to accelerate uh, massively. But We'll, we'll see how that all plays out. So the big story at the moment has been the banks have finally started blowing up. And I'm loving this because my job is easy in this scenario. I spend all the time on the show talking about fiat's going to melt down. It's all a scam, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Centralized crypto or banks doesn't matter. Inflation is destroying your savings. It's all going to work out for the worst. And what do you know? It has been. So in the last week essentially uh inflation has obviously been rising as it has for a long time and so in response the federal reserve have been raising interest rates now this has had the effect long predicted by a lot of people that it would crush asset values so government bonds in the us and stocks and what the biggest problem there is not the initial impact of that, but the secondary impact, which is that a lot of banks have those assets on their balance sheet. So their balance sheet assets are dropping in value, but they still have the same amount of liabilities in terms of depositors that they have to be able to make whole. We've also, of course, had the FTX collapse, which not only means that a lot of money has vanished from people who thought they had money, but also customers are more wary and aware of these custodian risks outside of crypto you know so then that's now caused uh two major bank runs which we'll just talk about quickly uh separately so the first one was this bank called silvergate so that's this is the, i'm going to put in quite the better of the two they've handled it better so they put themselves into voluntary liquidation so they have 6.3 billion in deposits and apparently around four and a half billion dollars in assets. They previously had much more in assets, but because of these changes in their asset values, they realized, okay, guys, we're in trouble. And they said, look, we're just going to walk away. We're going to wrap this up. They haven't been uh, taken over by regulators. So apparently things are at least on a good enough keel that they're like they're, they're being proactive, right? Saying, oh, okay, we're going to wrap things up. They're going to pay out all their depositors and uh, presumably their creditors as well, too. At least that's what they're saying. And the ones who are taking the loss are the shareholders, which is obviously not ideal if you're a bank shareholder. But on the other hand, that's that's how shareholding works. If you have shares in a bankrupt company and they go bankrupt, you're out of luck. Tough tough luck. That was the risk of, of holding the shares. So as far as this being a disaster in terms of the actual bank closing, it seems to be fairly orderly but of course it is potentially the canary in the coal mine for broader systemic issues what do you what do you make of this return to uh or follow on i guess from all the crypto collapses and problems we saw in the last year to 2023 starting out with some 
bank and fiat issues instead. Right. It's insane what's happening with the banks right now. Uh, something people don't know is that I am uh, part Cypriot, so I am familiar with what happened with the Bank of Cyprus and basically people's people's money was uh, taken out of their accounts. If you had over $100,000 in bank account, you suffered a haircut in, in Cyprus um, if you were if you had money in, in the Bank of Cyprus. And so uh, I've always had a, a fear of banks and I I loved crypto because of the fact that, you know, you can keep your your if you have your keys, you have your your money safe and sound in your wallet. And what's happening with the banks now is is insane. So we had the Silvergate Bank obviously uh, go under because, of course, FTX was one of their uh, biggest customers. And, uh, you know, with F with FTX going down and with the rates going up and everything, the Fed increased the, the basis point by 450 points over the last uh last year and of course this is this is tanking the uh the asset values of these uh banks that are holding the the bonds the u.s stocks and it is causing people to withdraw a ton of their money from their bank accounts and essentially cause a bank run on these banks and uh of course the most users most people want to take their 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 money and put it into uh short term um treasuries uh because right now they're paying uh, a decent uh decent interest rates and this this bank run is essentially being caused by the fed and it's insane what's happening right now i think that uh because of what's happening because the fed has increased has increased the rates by so much they are now considering uh even decreasing uh the rates back by like 100 basis points by by december but right now it's it's the fed that's causing these issues um with the banks and uh it's it it sucks because uh it's really the 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 small the small holders who these startup companies with uh with silicon valley and uh the tech industry that's that's suffering it's not really these these rich people it's 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 small startups that that really are going to be suffering from this issue. The FDIC, FDIC only insures up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and man, I, I don't think that uh, this should be happening with the banking system in the U.S. This shouldn't even. This is kind of embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing that it's it it's uh, that this this can actually occur. And I think right now there's going to be a meeting tomorrow on on the on Silicon Valley Bank to see, you know, what exactly is going to happen. But um, really, uh, I think all, all depositors need to be made whole. So we'll, we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow, honestly. Yeah, it's essentially the chickens are finally coming home to roost. I mean, obviously on this show and in the entire crypto industry as a whole, I would say since 2009 and even earlier than that, if you look at somebody like Peter Schiff has been just banging the drum for decades that this all can't keep going on the way it has been going on. And we saw it got right to the brink in 2008, but then with just spraying out money everywhere the problems got kind of papered over and that's been getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it's just a case of when does it all finally fall apart now they're between a rock and a hard place like you say with the fed because if they don't raise interest rates then inflation is just going to keep roaring even if they do raise interest rates then they're going to cause these kind of systemic problems and if they 
uh, do that, they might they might still not fix the problem. Inflation is still is still mm-hmm. going to keep going up because there's just so much money being spewed out to everybody. So it's actually a huge win for crypto. And I think the classic case of all the FTX and all the blowups last year, three arrows capital and yada yada yada. It's it's kind of come around to be a bit of a blessing in disguise, I think, because now it's causing this collapse in the banks, but it's also done a huge amount to create general population awareness of instability in the financial system and problems with custodians and so on and so forth. And after seeing all those problems in in crypto, which largely escaped being branded problems with crypto and more problems with custodians, now if the same thing is happening in fiat currency, it's really going to make people think through where they're choosing to put their money because it's going to become increasingly apparent as this stuff becomes more common that if you're not paying any attention, your money's just going to be gone at some point, right? Right. And I, I think that is a incredible fear that people should have with the banking system in general. Uh, banks, you know, they're supposed to be a safe haven for people to deposit their funds. And if it can't be that, I mean, it's a huge win for cryptocurrency in general. This is is this definitely going to open up uh, eyes for the masses and see, hey, you know, if if my money is not safe in the bank, where can I where can I park it? And you know, now they're going to start looking at various different cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin Cash is a, is a good one; it's a great place um, to to be parking your money. And uh, it's it, it's really shocking to see, you know, the these banks fall um and it's it's not really the big banks that are suffering it's it's these regional banks of course because they don't have the uh the financial advisor or the the staff to really understand how much these rates are really going to affect them they didn't have the foresight to to know they've never seen these market conditions ever this is like a a brand new thing where the, the the fed is increasing the rates so much in such a short span of time and so um, the big banks, of course, they do have the staff to say, OK, like they know how to handle these types of market conditions. But these regional banks have never seen this before. Uh, they have uh, they have troubles now. And um, it's it's definitely not good if we have all these regional banks shutting down and we have to rely on big banks only. And uh, it's definitely a huge win for crypto because you know, people will start looking at that as, an, as another option to be um, a place to park some of their money, at least some of their money. Um, have some in the bank, maybe some some in crypto. Uh, crypto is definitely a viable option. I think people are starting to wake up to that. Yeah, it's amazing. So we had the first collapse with the Silvergate, and then, like you said, there was this second one, Silicon Valley Bank. So they were the sixteenth largest bank in the U.S. So not the absolute big fish, like you say, but they they weren't you know necessarily that small either. So on Friday, they got shut down by the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation over insolvency. So there's around $211 billion of assets supposedly up for grabs here. But what happened was that uh, more than apparently 50% of VC funded American companies had their money in this bank. Why? Because um, Y Combinator and a couple of other of those sort of big players just advised all their companies that they were investing in, oh, just do a deal with uh, Silicon Valley Bank because that's, you know, we've already got everything established, sign the paperwork here, blah, blah, blah. So all these startup companies had all their money in this bank, right? 
But then some questions emerged about their solvency for the same reasons as the Silvergate one. And then those uh, large founders of uh, Y Combinator and all that, they put out an announcement to all their founders saying, guys, we're worried there's a problem there. So they both created the preconditions for and then triggered off a bank run on the assets where they had all their own money in there. So up to $42 billion got taken out in a single day uh, and Silicon Valley Bank discovered, obviously, when the money is flowing out that fast, if you don't have enough to cover it all, you, you're screwed. And they probably can't redeem that much anyway, because not all of their cash or all of their assets, it's not just 100% cash on their asset side. They're obviously going to have investments that are going to take time to sell off. And if you sell too much, you lower the price of the rest of them. And then, you know, you get caught in a bit of a, a catch 22. So we're now in this scenario where potentially loads of these VC funded startups are all essentially just going to go bust overnight because their money was all parked in Silicon Valley Bank and that's all gone. So they're trying to lobby for some kind of government intervention and and bailout, but that's that's probably hoping for a, a bit too much because, well, obviously for those companies and individuals involved, it does suck. I don't know that anybody else is going to be really cheering for the banks or the government to ride in to the rescue of these startup companies because as as everybody knows, startup companies, it's it's a risky business by by definition. And the ones at the top who are funding everything, why combinate the big in, investors, nobody's really crying too much if if they're losing their money. It's not like the average retail investor, oh mum and pop businesses are going out of business or or anything like that. It's kind of like, well, you guys are making a lot of risky bets and making a lot of money. And if you screwed up with your management of the bank, that that's that's kind of your own your own problem, or at least that's the way I see it. I don't see a lot of public sympathy for bailouts or, you know, saving the the poor tech workers. What do you think? Uh, well, okay. So $42 billion withdrawn a day is an incredible amount. And I know that, uh, yeah, Silicon Valley, they had to liquidate, uh, was it like 20 something billion in, uh, in bonds and stuff. And they still ended up having a hole. And of course, you know, the FDIC took over uh, the bank, um, and is now looking for a buyer, uh, you know, for the bank to, to, to hopefully plug this hole and make and make all depositors whole. Um, as for you know, you know, the the people who who lost out and them not being uh, you know poor mothers and fathers or whatever. Um, I think what's what's really at stake here is that these tech companies who do have their money deposited with Silicon Valley, they have to, they have no money right now to pay out their workers who work for them. And uh, that that's an issue because, you know, people, people definitely, there, there are some, you know, people who rely on this, this income from all the tech companies that are, that they're involved in. They had no, no part of, you know, the depositing into Silicon Valley bank. They don't know where they're, where their paycheck comes from. And now they have to suffer because of a mistake by one CEO, one CFO at some random bank that they had no clue even existed potentially. And uh, now, you know, they have to go to work and there's like, okay, so uh, do we have a paycheck coming in this week? And the answer could potentially be no, because uh, they're just, they're, the money's the money is missing. Well, um, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just an asshole. I don't know. But for me, I sort of think like, it, like it would be different if 
the money had been lost and it was like, oh, the agriculture industry, we've got 100,000 farmers that have just lost all their savings or something. You know, to me, I'm sort of like, okay, obviously there will be, you know, it's everybody's different and there'll be all kinds of people wrapped up in this, right? But even if it comes to the, so let's say, uh, I've got here, I found this stat. I don't know if these numbers are accurate, right? But three and a half thousand CEOs and founders wrote to the American government and said, guys, you're going to have to bail us out or we're all screwed. And they were representing 220,000 workers, right? But of those 220,000 workers, a lot of them have good jobs. And a lot of them have real skills that they can just reapply in another context obviously some people will be struggling obviously it always sucks to lose your job but i don't feel like this is a section of the economy that's going to have public sympathy to say oh like like if it was teachers right or nurses or something i could see the impact being a lot greater from the public's willingness to say oh this is a horrible scenario than probably pretty well-paid tech workers who were working in (laughs) risky risky startups that then didn't pan out but maybe that's just my well that is one way to look at it certainly but i from what i've seen on twitter and by joining all these twitter spaces and what people are just commenting about this um i think a lot of people are worried about uh the the people the companies the startups that have lost money i saw uh, mark cuban for instance tweet you know that he has a bunch of startup companies that did have money with silicon valley bank and these people rely on that money to keep their operations running and to keep their workers paid and everything. And while he says that he will personally work with these uh, these companies, there are still 65,000 other startups. And some of the stories I've heard in these Twitter spaces, you know, are uh, there there are some small startups. You know, one one lady was working on uh, a company where it's it's in the medical field. You know, she was scanning people would scan. Uh, Oh, they would they would type in the conditions that they're they're feeling or they would scan their face or something and it would tell you uh what symptoms you have or whatever it was it was a cool like tech startup thing um and now now she had all her money in in that bank and now it's going to be problematic uh paying out to the people in her company and uh, there's there's no reassurance that she will get more than the two hundred fifty thousand that the fdic insured and it's it's 90 percent of the assets at this bank are are uninsured. And I think there was what two hundred and eleven billion in deposits or something. So some crazy, some crazy amount. There's there's a lot of money that is just left uninsured. It's not it's it's not something that should have been allowed to happen in the first place. And I do think that um, it looks really bad on Biden as well. And I think he's if he wants to to win a, a next a second term um in this upcoming election he needs to start looking at what is happening with the banks because what's happening with silicon valley bank might become contagious and and go down to um and might start affecting smaller banks it's it might not just end here right now we have to we have to think about that this is this is currently the weekend and this news about silicon valley bank released on friday right when the markets are about to close right now we're in the weekend right now we're saying okay you know everything is nice and dandy nothing's happening but come monday we might actually see um the continuation of what what this what this bank run is actually going to do to other banks as well yeah exactly we're not going to know until things kind of play out but there's certainly one point of view and from the reading i did uh before the show there's some people who kind of say like okay 
these guys were fairly self-contained you know they they like like we said the silvergate one is winding up fairly uh readily on this spectrum of disaster to okay it all shut down but it's going to work out and then the silicon valley bank one is a bit more problematic but some people say oh well, it's still probably ha- handleable but you never know like you say we, we're going to wait and see whether or not this has knock-on effects and, and it might even not be in the immediate week but i'll give it a month or two months if this is partly in due to the ftx collapse then this happens and then it's just the dominoes falling in the uh, fragile system and like you say politics does come into it so got here a quote from treasure treasury secretary former chairwoman of the federal reserve janet yellen who said she won't be planning or at least at the moment isn't planning to do a, a bailout for this silicon valley bank and says the America, there's a quote uh, from a Guardian article of what she said. The American banking system is really safe and well capitalized. It's resilient, she told CBS's Face the Nation. Americans can have confidence in the safety and soundness of our banking system. Let me be clear that during the financial crisis, there were investors and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out. And the reforms that have been put in place means we are not going to do that again. End quote. So, Obviously, I think that's a load of bullshit. Like, there's no way that we have a safe and solid banking system. This is kind of her job to get trotted out whenever this thing happens and reassure everyone that it's going to be okay. But listeners to this show should know that's a complete lie. So if you're relying on this not happening again or not happening to your bank or they're not being contagion, throw that out the window. You should obviously not catastrophize and say it's all going to be a disaster and i should go and live in the woods with baked beans you know but plan ahead and at least diversify your risk know your you know have your crypto set up i don't know maybe have some gold have some physical cash like it's the most predictable thing in the world that these problems are going to keep happening and in fact get bigger whether we see it immediately as a knock-on effect of this or as a greater sort of repercussion and King BCH in the chat made a really good point saying bail out the Silicon Valley VCs by creating inflation and, and taxing the poor, right? That's, that's where the politics comes into it is if people can be convinced, oh, okay, it's so terrible for people who lost their money. Uh, you know, we should reimburse them. That's, that's, that's one attitude. But if the general public gets the idea that any bailouts and so on are going to affect them directly because then they're going to be playing higher prices for everything, that's where the the free, in quotes, money is coming from, then they're obviously going to have a, a different attitude, right? It's much easier to be empathetic until you realize, actually, your, your, your money and your purchasing power and your wealth is on the line too. So I, I like this idea that you have that the political element is going to be quite important and i guess we're still what 18 months away from a, another u.s election 18 months i, I it uh, might be or is it 12 months It'd be 2024 sometime right wasn't the last one in 2020 yes it's always four years so 2024 is the next one i don't know when in 2024 it will uh happen but uh it's it's soon okay yeah yeah so i guess that's a bit of a, a backdrop to all of this what do you make of of janet yellen do you think her saying that it's different this time it's not like the 2008 financial crisis everything's resilient and well capitalized is that is that a load of bullshit? 
So it is a load of crap, well, obviously what she's saying. But um, to her credit, I think that that is the only thing that she could have said. You know, if I was in that position, that is literally those are the only words I could have said to not have to not cause a further bank run. And um, what she's saying is is pretty general. So she's saying, you know, the American banking system is really safe and well capitalized, you know, compared to every other um, financial uh, institution or compared to other countries, then yes, it is pretty safe and well capitalized and resilient. And of course, this is this is literally the only things that, that she could have said in this situation. Um, and to hopefully um, give confidence to depositors that uh, you, you can feel safe in, in keeping your money in the banks, don't go and withdraw all your money. But um, yes, it's, it is scary what's happening right now with these banks. And I think that uh, it is very important that Silicon Valley uh, bank depositors are made whole because it's it's while, while you're saying, you know, the tech industry, they don't need the, the money or whatever. Um, these are a lot of startup companies, a lot of tech institutions. And these are the these are the companies that that um, the, the U.S. basically relies on for so many jobs and things. If they don't have their money back, that's that's a huge blow to a whole bunch of different sectors. Uh, I think it could create a domino effect, like you were saying. So uh, some some way or another, I think it is incredibly important for every single depositor at this bank to be made whole. And I think if we don't see that happen, we are going to see uh, the effects of that uh, very, very shortly in the coming weeks to see what what else, uh, what other problems end up happening uh, due to this um, it, crisis. Honestly, it is kind of a crisis. I think I think people should be taking it very seriously. It's yeah, the well, 19th largest set, bank. It'll, <laughs> it'll set the president, right? If they if they just say, okay, the Silicon Valley people are just screwed, like tough luck, we're just going to let them them fail, which of course always happens in crypto. No balance in crypto. No balance unless, unless somebody comes in and wants to take a punt, you know, CZ or whatever. But generally there's no bailouts in crypto. But in the fiat uh, system, you always have the chance mm -hmm. of, oh, will they or won't they? It's like a, you know, rom-com drama. <laughs> will they, won't they? Janet Yellen and the latest bank, is she feeling uh you know good about them this week right so and i agree with you she can't she can't say anything else that's what she says every single time when she was the head of the right. the federal reserve it's like we need some uh chat gpt you know janet janet gpt to just come out and everything is well capitalized the situation is under control systemic risk is not an issue it's the same script every time because whether it's a big problem if it's not a big problem she's telling the truth and if it is a big problem she can't say that or it's going to make the problem worse so exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly Everybody put yourself in her shoes and it's like well if i was in that same situation this is all i can say right now is to not make the problem worse the main thing is to not make the problem worse so of course exactly. yeah so everybody reading the uh, financial news just just be aware of how completely propaganda this is and also just the idea that once once you read the headline it's too late if you are one of these people with their money in silicon valley um, banking you're not getting you're not getting your money out or at least not until it's all been haircut and diluted and you know the the problem's over right the insiders get their money out and that's what so i heard somebody who's talking on one of these twitter spaces about some of the cfo and so on they were just dumping their stock a couple of weeks back because they could obviously see 
that the you know the panic was going to begin and so they they got out but all the people left on the hook at the end just you are the little people that's essentially what it comes down to so you've got a your only defense is to be prepared in advance rather than to sort of try and react to the situation as it comes and it's obvious that we're going to see more banks you know blowing up more problems in the fiat system and more problems in the centralized um you know crypto ecosystem as well too so i i think yeah the message of this show just bears repeating which is learn how to use crypto not your keys not your coins hold your own stash and uh probably diversify a bit spread out because once the once the contagion starts it is already too late so then as a secondary side consequence of this we have had the de-pegging of usdc i don't think this has ever happened before i was trying to remember whether it has but i don't think usdc has ever got out of more than you know 98 or 99 cents so for people who don't follow this in great detail usdc is one of the largest so-called stable coins which is essentially where you have a kind of cryptocurrency but it's run by a, a company uh, which can indirectly be controlled basically by a government but it might just be run by a company and they have a bunch of dollars in their bank account and then they have issue a bunch of crypto tokens and then they say voila these crypto tokens are worth one dollar each and if you send us some of the crypto tokens we'll send you back the one dollars and if you send us some dollars we'll send you some crypto tokens and that lets people in the crypto industry hedge in theory their money and uh, avoid volatility risk if they want to you know sell some bitcoin and hold some usdc well then they know okay it's in one dollar and if the crypto market is crashing they can wait before they buy back in or they might want to be using it for daily transactions like in argentina or turkey or whatever so circle uh, who runs the usdc has the second biggest stablecoin with about 40 billion dollars of market cap so there's about 40 billion dollars of usdc but they announced that their $3.3 billion of their reserves was in this Silicon Valley bank, which is now in jeopardy and in crisis. So as a result, the price of the $1 USDC, which is supposed to never change, or maybe not outside tiny little fluctuations, crashed down to 88 cents yesterday, but has since recovered up to about 96 cents today because uh, Jeremy Allaire, who's the CEO of USDC, came out and gave some sort of reassuring comments that we're going to back this up no matter what and blah, blah, blah. But when these uh, tokens start to start to crash, it, it really raises a lot of concerns because firstly, you can have knock-on effects in the rest of the DeFi ecosystem. Things that are backed up with USDC collateral will uh, liquidate you know, to and sort of make the problem worse in a bit of a snowball effect. And then secondly, on top of the DeFi liquidations, you also just have this idea that an, an 80, let's say an 80 cent or 90 cent USDC doesn't mean that if 10% of the money is missing, it's worth 10%. Uh, it's worth, you know, 90%. It doesn't work in a one-to-one -one ratio like that. It's more like if 10% money is missing, then some of it is still worth $1 and the rest is worth zero. So it becomes a race as to who can redeem their coins in and get them out at the $1 rate and then everybody else gets gets screwed as the coin goes to zero which is not exactly like what happened with terra luna but it's it's similar in in that way so coinbase has suspended some of their trading pairs because of this uh inability to redeem usdc at 
at $1. And obviously, we've seen other stable coins in the market adjusting. So Tether has actually been above $1 because people are trying to escape one stable coin into another stable coin. USDD on Tron is at $0.97. Cents. DAI is at $0.96. Cents, and the Binance USD is at $1.01 plus UST is obviously long dead at this point. So I think we're seeing an interesting array of stablecoin responses to this market volatility at a time when when stablecoins seem like they should be a, a good option. What do you make of the stablecoin responses to banks blowing up like this? Right. So USDC, of course, you know, having 3.3 billion at SVB, that's 8% of their uh, $40 billion uh, market cap. Of course, that that did cause, you know, the de-pegging uh, yesterday. And uh, this this I think this is the first time that USDC has depegged this far off, and it just kind of shows how risky stablecoins really are. Because I think stablecoins might even be riskier than you know just having your money in traditional bank because you're relying on multiple centralized entities, and it just keeps getting worse and worse the farther down you go. So you know first you have to rely on the bank, and you know that's already risky in itself. Now you have a stablecoin USDC, so you have to rely on the bank and Coinbase, two centralized entities, then you can even go further down, you know, uh, CoinFlex, for instance, relied on USDC, you know, they had their backing in USDC for their Flex USD coin. So now you have if you were using Flex USD, you had to rely on CoinFlex, Coinbase, and the banks. And, the bank. and then in Smart BCH, we had uh, one users Kane's uh, SBUSD, which relied on Flex USD. So now you have you have SBUSD, you have to worry about them and CoinFlex and Coinbase and the banks. So the farther down you go down this rabbit hole, you will have it is actually like one of the riskiest things ever to have your money parked in stable coins because of any as if anything fails along the chain, then you have a chance of losing everything. And that's we that's what we've seen this year uh multiple times with with Terra Luna and now we have USDC and um, all these different centralized entities, and it's really showing the dangers of centralized institutions and why we should be focusing on a decentralized ecosystem and uh, using crypto the way it was meant to be used in a decentralized manner. And uh, yeah, it's honestly, it's, it's really shocking what happened with USDC. Is, uh, I, I thought of it as the, the safest stable coin up until now, like I was saying before, uh, before the BCH podcast, I had some friends asking, you know, what stablecoin should I be using uh, for my for my transactions? And I recommended USDC just three days ago. And look what happened now. I really thought it was a, the safest stablecoin for them to use. And now after what, what can I recommend now? USDT? It's a, it's it's a, it's a whole it's a whole situation, a whole dilemma going on right now with uh, with stable coins. Yeah, but one of the interesting things I've thought about this scenario is in a in a strange way, obviously it's hugely validating the idea of proper decentralized cryptos like BCH, but in a in a in a way, it is also kind of validating the whole crypto free market approach with regards to the stable coins themselves, because there are multiple I mean, there's only one US dollar, right? There's one Federal Reserve and they fiddle around with the rates and there's that, right? But in the crypto market, okay, you have Tether, you have USDD, you have DAI, you have the kind of algorithmic stablecoin, you have Binance USD. And so even though we've seen this big uh, problems in USDC, 
it seems like the variety of options has responded differently. You know, some of them like Tron and Die have lost a couple of cents, but they're still kind of hanging in there. And then because maybe they're affected in a similar way or as a knockout effect, whereas then Tether is surviving this crisis. Not that I'm any big fan of Tether. In fact, that's a huge scam and it will just be another day. Well, it could be Tether that's having this problem instead of USDC, right? It's the exact same thing. But the point is, because there's a bunch of different options, maybe they're not all having a problem at the same time. And even to the extent that one of them is having problems, people can kind of migrate to the others. Like if you have USDC, you can still swap it out for another one and maybe take like, let's say a 10% loss, but you've now cut your risk of it going to zero or you can distribute into five different stable coins if you want to do. Of course, maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe you should actually just have it in physical cash or you should buy a proper decentralized crypto. But it it's this idea of a more resilient free market where there's a variety of, of options. I, I don't know. I just see it as actually kind of validating crypto the fact that there is five stable coins and if one of them blows up well the others still carry on right well the problem also is that with usdc collapsing it did affect some of the other stable coins such as dai dai has also lost its peg and uh even in the banking sector when svb uh started uh having its bank run uh, a lot of stocks on different banks started plummeting so there was there was definitely um uh definitely uh yeah correlation between you know uh one one centralized entity going down is affecting others as well um and i don't think it was just die i think it was you know usdc die and one other stable coin uh i forget which one right now but there was multiple stable coins definitely losing their peg and the one that didn't lose its peg um somehow is you know tether of course and everyone was uh definitely moving over their usdc to tether to the point that tether actually uh went to a dollar and one cents uh, in price and it was holding above a dollar for most of yesterday and probably today even. Yeah, it was up to a dollar and six cents on some exchanges. As everybody was dumping, of course, the market just arbitraged that out. But we've got a hot take because somebody brought up in the chat from Jess Quick uh, on Twitter is actually a pretty good one. He said, among the high cap stable coins, the regulated and well-managed ones will go down first because they have to be accountable. They can't just bluff crime and counterfeit their way back to solvency. The last one standing will be the shadiest, which is why the entire concept is toxic. Consider two banks. Bank A is a regulated bank that guarantees 50% reserves and is heavily audited. Bank B is run by a crime syndicate, has zero reserves and has an illegal money printing machine in the back, which is basically what Tether is. There's a sudden run on both banks. All depositors demand their money. Half of Bank A's customers get their money back, then the bank has to declare bankruptcy and default on the other half. All of Bank B's customers get their money back. Bank B stays in business and buys out Bank A. End quote. So that's that's essentially what we're seeing here is that Circle and USDC have been known as one of the most trusted, legitimate uh, operations. And in fact, the, the fact that they had their money in uh, what's called Silicon Valley Bank is perhaps a part of that. Like they were doing what was industry best practice with all these other VC firms that had all sort of done their due diligence and yada, yada. And now they're caught up in it. Whereas Tether, who are just nobody knows what's going on. It seems like a complete scam. There's no real transparency or accountability. They are just doing fine, at, at least at the moment, because if there's any problems, they can just cover it up with more lies and more 
yeah, fraud, right? So perhaps we'll see a sort of consolidation from the top down where the bigger stable coins slowly fall apart as the whole concept proves unworkable, but then the shadiest ones suck up that market cap and, until at the end, they're just the ticking time bombs to, to blow up last. Right. I think most people describe Tether as that sort of black box. Nobody really knows what's going on uh, with Tether, but because Coinbase Circle is it was following all the regulations of New York and uh, we're doing things by the book in a way that was financially advisable, uh, they are now caught up in the whole banking crisis right now with the with the bank run of of Silicon Valley. And because we, as as users can can see what's happening with the banks, and we have confirmation from Circle that they they had three point three billion dollars with the bank. That is what's causing uh, the DPEG in USDC. Whereas with USDT, we have no clue what's going on with them, and so there's no reason for people to sell off their USD, USDT right now because they are that black box where we have no insight as to their workings, their financial uh, situation. And so I, it seems like yeah, just quick, you know, might be onto something with uh, with his tweets and that the, it's the bigger stable coins that have that that will probably go down first before we actually see, you know. Um, the shady ones um, fall. Yeah. So speaking of uh, CoinFlex before, like you were explaining that layered cake of problems, we've also had news this week where the Seychelles court has approved CoinFlex's restructuring plan. We've covered that on the show uh, previously a couple months back. You can go and look at those episodes. I think it was 50. Let me, let me just quickly check, but I think it was 51, 52 and 55 maybe or or and 60 and one second it was 52 53 and episode 60 if you want to get the full rundown of of what all happened there but essentially their plan was we don't have enough money so we're going to give the creditors we're going to lump together everybody which is the depositors to the exchange holders of flex usd and also the smart bch users because their bridge funds got mixed up into all that we're going to give them back uh redemptions in this kind of weird what they call composite which is the recovery value tokens which is like shares in their lawsuit against roger veer to try and get their money back some equity in coinflex which is a bit questionable because why do you want <laughs> why do you want shares in an exchange that's already insolvent and they're kind of forcing you into betting on them being able to turn the ship around without much ability to sort of redeem or get get back your money and some sort of unlocked balances so they were originally i think they already unlocked about 10% of of people's funds so if you had one bitcoin cash you got back 10% of that, but maybe as part of this restructuring, I think you're maybe going to get back another 10% or something like that. But I, I don't know the exact number, but the idea is that you'll have got back a tiny minority of your funds and then the rest will all be in these Roger Ver uh, recovery tokens that depends on them winning a lawsuit and equity in the exchange, which you may or may not want and isn't worth much if the exchange is still bust. So they published uh, these... Uh, announcements from the Seychelles court. So the main game still hasn't happened, which is going to be in the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center where they're they're wrangling this all out. And part of the claims there has been that Roger has said, oh, okay, well, actually, you guys still owe me $200 million. Mm. So 
CoinFlex themselves admits that even if they got back their 84 million, which was originally 47 million, but is now 84 million, even if they got that back, they would still be some ridiculous amount of millions, like still like 50 million plus in debt. They would still be screwed. And then Roger says they then owe him 200 million on top of that. So they really, I don't know where they're going to get all the money. What seems for sure is that they've just taken away everyone's funds and <laughs> probably to the extent that people see some of it back, it's it's not really going to be very much. It's, is there any reason for hope here or is everybody who's still waiting on their CoinFlex funds just kind of screwed? In my opinion, it's it's very unlikely that people see the return of the funds. And I think that is something that Roger Ver argued in uh, the litigations and the and in the documents in that court that that he was fighting over. He said that basically it's you the CoinFlex basically casted a vote for its users saying, you know, um, vote yes on this and you'll see, you know, 20 percent of your funds come back. And Roger, sir, Roger Verse said that this is an unfair way to, to cast that vote because you're basically saying, hey, if you vote no, well, you're not seeing those 20% or whatever uh, of your funds. Uh, but if you vote yes, you have a chance of getting some of them back. And he's, the CoinPlex is basically strong arming its depositors and saying, you know, hey, uh, yeah, vote this way. So, and Roger Verse was saying it was unfair. Uh, the, the likelihood of seeing all of these depositors made whole is just, it, it's incredibly unlikely to me, unless of course, Roger Ver uh, does end up giving back the entirety of the 84 million, in which case there's still a $50 million hole. And um, according to Roger, you know, CoinFlex was never profitable enough to, I don't think ever make back that 50 million. Um, so that's also another thing that uh, CoinFlex depositors have to keep in mind is that can, if operations were, you know, doing great again, and they were getting all this, uh, all this income, would it even be enough to cover the rest of the whole? I don't think so. I think that um, this 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 hole that CoinFlex has made for themselves is is kind of too vast, and it's something that Roger uh, brought up multiple times in his uh, in his court case, saying that we would rather most depositors would rather invest in a company that is doing well and thriving, not one that is already so far down and negative and has little to no chance of recovering. Um, and so, yeah, uh, honestly, I think it's just a matter of liquidating CoinFlex's assets and trying to get back as much as you can. And hopefully for Smart BCH, we uh, end up getting back the 33,000 Bitcoin cash that was promised. Um, which is about one third of the total deposit. So I think uh, Smart BCH was entitled to 10% um, off the bat and another 20% um, should should come. So a total of 33,000 uh, Bitcoin cash. And it's the, same, it's the same deal as every single creditor of CoinFlex. Um, they, they will get back roughly 30% after this restructuring deal is, is put into place, supposedly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, from the community's point of view, that's a complete scam because uh, there was 101,000 uh, BCH put in and that was always prefaced many, many times. And you can follow the paperwork and whatever and find out that, okay, we're going to segregate that. It's a separate thing. We're going to treat that differently. We're acting as the custodians. But there was questions raised. I mean, obviously, not enough sort of pressure and due diligence was done, but there was a lot of 
uh, emphasis put on at the time. Okay, what if CoinFlex goes bust? Will these smart BCH stuff be be separated and and be fine? And there was many assurances that yes, it would be. It would all be okay. Of course, in reality, once it, it came through, actually, that's not what happened at all. It turned into just oh, we're going to just sweep up these funds into everyone else and completely fraud and uh, you know renege on what we'd what we'd said before. So obviously, it's a disaster for the the smart BCH funding, but. Even, you know, now that we're in this situation, if one third of the funds did actually come back to the smart BCH bridge, well, that's a lot better than nothing, which I guess is the current outlook uh, in this in this scenario. And part of this restructuring has been claims by CoinFlex and by uh, Mark Lamb that I've seen on Telegram that he's going to do something with this smart BCH alliance and give them back some of the money. But I don't know who that is, or I don't know. There seems to be very little information as to who they are or what their plan is or how they would be any different to begin with. So do you know any more about that? Or when you said at the start that smart BCH you think is quite likely to make some sort of a comeback, do you think that can happen without any return of of funds that the community can just scrape it together and make it work? Or how do you see that playing out? I believe that so it is true that we don't really have any information from um, Smart BCH Alliance, but I think in order for Smart BCH to make a comeback, um, we would need the 33,000 BCH from CoinFlex and we would need the rest of the hole to be plugged by the Smart BCH Alliance. And while most people do not see that happening whatsoever, I do remain hopeful that is the plan because that is that is the what was outlined in the restructuring deal. Maybe I'm being too hopeful in thinking that uh, that 66,000 um, BCH hole will be plugged. But the fact that um, right now, smart BCH, uh, the token is redeemable one-to-one for main chain BCH um, because of the uh, smart, BCH, smart BCH alliance keeping the peg, I think that is a good news for the community because it definitely shows that they do have some intention to maintain that peg and potentially fill the rest of the hole. Otherwise, why would they maintain the peg if they had no intention of ever seeing smart BCH return back into working order? That's that's how I see it. And I think that um, smart BCH lines will stay true to the word and fill the 66,000 BCH hole. Um, but once again, that maybe that's just very hopeful thinking on my end. So is that the block NG bridge that you're talking about, or is there another way that you can do redemptions? Uh, right now, the only way to redeem is through the block NG bridge. Uh, what you would do is you would just go on any of the DEXs, um, one of the aggregator DEXs. So you can use Ben Swap's um, aggregator or Tango Swap's aggregator on Smart BCH and redeem uh, your, main, your Smart BCH for main chain BCH one-to-one. But on the Binance Smart Chain network. So you would basically um, sell your Smart BCH for Binance Smart Chain BCH, and then you could just withdraw to your Binance accounts or um, or whatever. Maybe swap on like you know uh, a Dex, a decentralized exchange on on BSC. Yeah, I have actually used that and tried that out, and it's fascinating that the community. It is a bit of a 
workaround, but it's amazing that the community has produced uh, these these solutions in light of how much of a disaster the whole thing. I mean, I personally just I'm such an optimist. I always just have a part of me that that wants to believe, same as you, that I just feel like there's a world where given six months, given 12 months, maybe CoinFlex has scammed most of the money, but in their attempts to get away with it, they uh, give back some of the money. And then the Jihan comes in and says, look, I've put up a bunch of cash and effort and everything getting smart BCH going. Like, I'm not just going to throw that away. Look, here's the cash. That's all covered. Boom. You're, you're back to it. Of course we do need a better bridge solution. Um, but there still seems to be that that potential. You know, the community still seems to be there. Like you said, a lot of projects got saved by migrating over to other chains and even the ones that didn't. It's still operating, right? There's still projects that you can use and there still seems to be users talking about and discussing it. And I could, it just seems like it's going to fall from heaven on it. BCH has so much bad news all the time. I have so many problems because we do everything the decentralized, slow, organic way. I could just see a world. Maybe this is just complete cope or hope on my part, but I can see one where things just, you know, everything's kicking off. BCH is getting a bit of momentum. Suddenly the community has a bit more money. And then suddenly cherry on the cake is that uh, smart BCH announces, okay, we found a way to make this work and we're, we're back in action. And that just provides a confluence of events that gets even more hype into the, into the ecosystem. But the whole genius of it when it first came out is that it attracted a load of new people. So you could, you can always have 99% of the crypto ecosystem that doesn't know, like the CoinFlex news was a big deal, but it still didn't register really with tons of people. If it was suddenly like Bitcoin cash is popping off, smart BCH is back, there was some problems, but they fixed it. That explanation works for so many clueless people so so often that it it, it could happen, right? Yeah, sure, it could. Okay, do you? Is that something that you want, though? Well, that's yeah. Of course, I want. Of course, I want everything to go back. It was such a good project when it was working. It was doing great. It was bringing in loads of new people to the community, like Dynaporns, for instance. And you're still here now. That's the whole point. You came more. You came for Smart BCH, but then you also learned about the rest of the ecosystem and got really involved and everything. And even after that, had had problems. You know, you stuck around for the. It's like the bait that's not really the right word because ideally it would also work and be a success and people would get benefit out of that too but on the other hand it drove so much traction and interest and i just see such a perfect synergy between us having cash tokens coming out a lot of excitement and hype and new tech being built there and then if you had a similar stuff going also on a smart bch then the network effect compounds on each other and it it could be amazing but i I don't know what the realistic chance of that are i yeah i think that that would be you know, a really great outcome. But I'm not sure how, like, especially with a lot of the OGs being like, we put too much trust in this. We shouldn't have let this happen. And we did. And we should take some accountability for that. I don't know if we'll ever get that same hype back unless we like 10x the amount of new people that really do come in. Because most people with, I feel like the most influence in the space will be like, maybe don't be so hype about this. I don't know. I don't, I definitely don't have the same kind of uh, optimism that you guys have, but 
I'm also still, you know, cranky from the past week. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Stranger things have happened and maybe it could prove its reliability over time. You know, that's what I'm saying. If it if it did suddenly come back together, I'm not saying everybody would just suddenly go and dump all their BCH in there. But if it was working and maybe people could put in, you know, a tiny sliver of cash, a bit of excitement could get going up again. The new bridge solution, whatever that turned out to be, could prove itself. And then we could kind of go from there. But uh, who knows? Well, I think the way the excitement could come back is just projects being built on the network again. Um, it just takes one really good project to be like, oh, wow, I really want to try out that thing. That's on smart BCH. Wow. Okay. I can bridge my money from Ethereum network. I can bridge my money from the BSC network onto smart BCH to use the protocol that you have developed, you've, you've created on this chain. And I think that's really cool. And I love being able to use my Bitcoin cash um, and move it from from Ethereum network to the Binance Smart Chain network to Smart BCH to Doge Chain, I'm able to move it all around without ever having to touch a centralized exchange. I could just do it through DeFi. I think that that's what's really cool. And uh, there are still a lot of projects that are being built on Smart BCH, still being worked on. Uh, people have been using this bear market time to keep uh, to keep developing. And I think that yeah, as soon as you see something that's really cool, they want to try. You're like, okay, well. How do I try it? I have to move Bitcoin Cash onto the Smart BCH network and um, see how this thing works. Maybe, maybe, maybe someone will develop a really fun game on Smart BCH. Um, Josh Alathor, for instance, still has the Clementine's Nightmares that he's working on, and one of the chains that he wanted to um, have that game work on was Smart BCH. So, of course, you know if if there's Clementine's Nightmare on Smart BCH, why am I going to use the more expensive? Uh, blockchain to play this game i don't want to pay so much money in transactions i'm going to use smart bch plus all my money is already in bitcoin cash why am i going to swap it over to like some other um crypto that i don't i don't want to use and i think smart bch definitely has a place if it's working properly if it's if it's got a working bridge the the shawgate bridge seems like it's practically ready it just uh requires the the necessary backing um and to go live and i think that that should happen shortly hopefully in april hopefully sometime soon the sooner the better of course um but yeah for sure i think that's it, it just takes one good project to really get everyone um enthusiastic about smart bch again um now with block ng uh bridging over to uh, creating that bridge to ethereum where um you'll be able to move nfts from smart bch to the ethereum network and have you know, Ethereum NFTs move over to Smart BCH network. I think that's a really cool um, application, cool bridge for uh, more more people who are not necessarily involved in the Bitcoin Cash community to bridge over and see what's the cool things we have over in this space. Yeah, I don't know how convinced I am about the Shargate bridge is basically ready. It just needs the backing. I mean, the backing is one component of that, but I haven't seen any significant uh, evidence of that. But has there been some recent development there or what, what well, would you say it's basically ready? Kui has Kui has, um, has been posting regular updates on his research Smart BCH website. And the last that we've heard about the Shargate bridge was that it was in testing right and now he's not even he hasn't even been posting about it. he's been posting about this elfin guard protocol they've been working on for smart bch and for main chain bch and so that gets me thinking 
optimistically, maybe, maybe too optimistically, that he is basically, I'm thinking that he's basically uh, ready with the, with the Shawgate Bridge and talking to BCH Fools, um, who is a big part of this. Uh, he's part of the BCH Alliance. Um, the thing that he's basically mentioned was that uh, before uh, Shawgate can be released, um, we would have to uh, set up a what is it like a, a group for the smart bch alliance of basically some sort of structure on how everything is going to work so um i don't know to me it's, i'm starting to get the the notion that the the actual bridge itself is is practically ready it's just getting the um the structure of how everything is going to work in place and um getting everything aligned getting everyone on the same page and having the yeah just just being prepared for what comes next well, I want to believe, I really want to believe. And like, like you say, there's a part of me that just sees that it just hasn't gone away. That's the, I have a lot of faith in things that die in quotation marks, but then survive. Like the, it hasn't gone away and yeah, there is still updates and there's still activity. People are still working on it. So you can't count it out. I mean, I know some people are like, I'm never touching a smart busy edge again, blah, 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 it's done, it's dead. It's over. But it isn't, clearly it isn't. Clearly there's still a, a seed there. So I don't think you can count it out until it until it comes good. You were mentioning before the start of the show, I don't know how much you want to say about this, but you're actually working on your own project as well, not necessarily directly related to Smart BCH, but it could potentially be a part of that ecosystem. Uh, are we getting able to get any insight into, into that or is that still under wraps? Well, I can talk a little bit about that. So yeah, I am working on my own project. It's going to launch on the Ethereum network first. Um, and I believe we landed on the name uh, NFT Rich, and basically it's going to Love be. It. <laughs> it's a simple name, but I didn't really. I came up with in a few, in very short time frame, but um, yeah, I definitely I have a, a bunch of front end developers and back end developers, and I had cool like logo designers, web designers, uh, working on on the project for me. And essentially, it's going to be a way to utilize your NFTs and uh, play with them. So. Uh, some, some, it's something that I feel that the NFT space has been missing for a while. Um, and I took the inspiration from Counter-Strike when I used to play Counter-Strike. Their, um, their skins right now are worth, if, you, if, if, if you've ever played Counter-Strike, your skins might actually be worth a ton of money right now. Uh, even those little boxes that were worth a cent, they're, they're, worth, they're worth big money right now. Um, and or one of the reasons why their skins are worth so much is because you could play with those skins and there was a market for those skins and the way you play with them is you would put them in um one of those it's kind of like a gambling website but uh you would basically take the value of your skin and let's say your the the skin value was a hundred dollars and you put it into a pool of two hundred dollars so one person puts up a skin for a hundred you put up a skin for a hundred you have a 50 percent chance of winning both skins and i thought hey you know why isn't something like that why doesn't something like that exist for nfts i feel like it would work way better on blockchain because so many of us have nfts most of us only bought it for the art or maybe we just bought it because we thought the value was going to go up and then we just sit on these nfts i think most of us in the DeFi space are sitting on thousands of nfts especially if you are one of these um nft collectors and there is nothing you can do with them half a lot of the times and i thought it'd be really cool to have something something that you can do with them something that would get people excited to sweep the floor of nfts and say hey you know i can sweep the floor of nfts and i can put them into this uh, nft rich project and 
uh, with a 1% chance, I might be able to win a board eight worth $100,000. So if I just put in a dollar and I put up, I put an NFT, it's worth a dollar and I, I can win a board eight possibly with my 1% chance. This is amazing. I, I love this idea. Now I'm going to, I know a lot of people are going to say this sounds a bit borderline and I think it is, but I personally think, like you say, it's a, it's a proven model. Okay. The Counter-Strike stuff, I'm not an expert on that, but I will say that I do know that a lot of that is related to shady, uh, gray market sort of gambling and things I thought, are going better on there. Than, than the wild west of blockchain to, to, exactly. to really this. exactly it's perfect and on crypto you could also do it where it could be provably fair right satoshi dice have already shown that where unlike counter-strike you don't know what's the you know it says 50 50 odds but it really could be 99 exactly. to 1 and you know it's all rigged behind the scenes but with the blockchain stuff you can make it so that it's cryptographically provable and you can look into it and see that everybody has a fair chance and so that being the case it could then be an attractive alternative and like you say i think that would be pretty hype if you had somebody who is like i'm gonna put one of these more known projects like a board ape or something and they for whatever reason maybe they did it as a marketing stunt or maybe uh they had uh, their own uh you know desire to try and win a load of nfts or something if they could bet the board ape against like a hundred thousand nfts that the whole community had mm -hmm. all <laughs> chipped in against them that would be that would be that would so, be so cool and and that's something that i loved about the when i when i used to watch it on counter-strike too because sometimes you don't even have to play you just go there to watch like even just watching it like you see the wheels spinning and you see like the various names and you're like okay this guy's a one percent chance let's see if he wins the pool of like a fifty thousand dollars Oh, the guy with like a point zero zero one percent chance he like won or something. It's it's really cool to to see. And I was so for so long, I'm like, why hasn't anyone just brought these ideas over to blockchain? Is it difficult? And over time, I'm like, you know what? Let me just do these myself. Let me just let me just start developing these myself because even if nobody you know plays the the thing that I create or nobody is in, interested at all. I want to have something that I create and see if if it will um, engage different members of different communities. Maybe I can maybe, maybe it'll be something interesting. And if it if it isn't, um, I mean, I'll play it myself. You know, all all I need is one person to to play against. Sure. <laughs> so how how far away is this from? Like, obviously, you're giving this unexpected. Uh, preview here what what are we talking three months away six months away two weeks away what so i've been working on it for a couple of months now and uh, i actually think that we can have it ready within a month or two more so um yeah hopefully hopefully soon or definitely we definitely want to have it ready before the summer so um yeah maybe April, uh, may hopefully we can have uh, a working a working website and everything it looks really cool by the way so we're, we're doing a really good job we're not uh, uh making it it's look, look cheap, ugly cheap. It's, it's not it's not some cheap cheapo <laughs> it's looking really good and we're trying to make it so uh it's actually fun for for everyone to to get involved in all right cool excellent well i'm looking forward to that and uh hopefully yeah hopefully you may and if not i mean these things always take time but Sounds good. More more stuff was always in the works. I love that about crypto as well and about innovation. People don't really understand. Whatever you can see and use today is sort of not necessarily the tip of the iceberg, but there's always more coming in the pipeline that people right. just haven't announced. And that stuff turns up all over the place, especially in decentralized ecosystems where anybody can just plug in and do it right. So 
Uh, I love that. Colin Robinson 11 says, will Silicon Valley Bank affect my OnlyFans? Well, good question. Firstly, do you have an OnlyFans? Secondly, is it successful? Thirdly, did you bank with Silicon Valley Bank? You might want to look into all of those <laughs> questions to get it, get an answer to that. Right. We got to talk about BCH Bull. And I need to make a special, another lot of announcements this episode as well, too, which is that General Protocols, who are the company who have uh, built uh, BCH Bull and Any Hedge uh, and all of that with uh, Emergent Reasons, who's been on the show a few times, Imaginary Username, all that. They are now the first sponsor of the Bitcoin Cash podcast. We just recently agreed to that and did a, a bit of a small deal to that. Obviously, it's a team that I know fairly well, I'd say, all things considered. It's a product I actually believe in, and it's something that's uh, very well regarded in the BCH space. So I have been very thoughtful about this. I have not had, I've had a couple of other opportunities for some sponsors in the past, but it never came together because my number one priority is that the reputation of the show remains good, obviously. So it had to be the right one, and uh, general protocols have come through with it so they're going to be getting a shout out at the end of every show like the patrons do and they'll have links in the description and so on so this is a bit of a disclaimer because we've never done paid announcements or anything like that before and we have in the past talked about bth bull a ton and we will in the future too just because it's exciting and it's a great thing but you know full transparency so all the all the listeners know yeah they didn't ask me to do this segment or anything i just felt it is actually uh relevant but we are now being sponsored by General Protocols. Um, so, yeah, just be aware of that. But anyway, the reason that I bring this up is because you have been using the BCH Bull quite regularly. You have your own Telegram channel where you put up updates about what you're trading on it and making money or uh, not. And you've obviously been using it pretty much right from when it started. So I wanted to get your full take on how have you found it so far and how do you think it's going to develop over the next few months? Yeah, I actually think it's a really awesome protocol, definitely useful. And I have been using it pretty much since the beginning. And uh, honestly, you know, I, I always keep it up on my left monitor over here. And when we started this uh, call, actually, I was... So today was this week has been a really bad day in, in the crypto thing. Uh, it said that I was like negative 69 BCH or something. But now I don't know what's happened. It says positive four BCH. So I don't know. I think the price has gone up for BCH in this this while we were talking the last two hours. So I don't know how that happens. I'm, I'm actually a little happy about that, actually. But um, no, it's, it's it's been really awesome. So the way BCH bull works is... Uh, you can either speculate that the price of BCH will go up or hedge your money uh, thinking that the price is going to go down. And you can open up a position for up to two hours to a month. Personally, I have been really liking the extreme end. So I've been liking longing or shorting for a month or doing it for two hours. Really, honestly, both things have been working out really well for me. I think on the platform... I have made so far about 100 BCH in a month's time of using the platform, which is insane. I think I think a lot of it is luck, to be honest, because I'm not really much of a trader. But the way I've I've seen this platform is it's such a good way to stabilize your your BCH when the markets are going down, and it's a great way to, in a decentralized manner, to long your BCH 
um, times five because it lets you it lets you long um, five times more than the BCH that you have up to five times. You could do you know one point two x or three x four x whatever it is. But usually, you know, I will just I kind of just yell away and just go five x all the time. Um, if it does well or not, you know, I'm just kind <laughs> of take that gamble. But no, I definitely love using it for. Uh, uh, for for both scenarios, if I see that uh, BCH is going down, I will I will take the chance. I will hedge my my money. And uh, in a bull market, like I'm hoping that we're we're in one right now. That hopefully we're at the start of a bull market. Um, it's a great way to uh, bet on BCH doing well with money that you don't have. So and in, in a decentralized way and one that seems uh, contractually safe to so with BCH bull, you know, when you're longing or, or, or uh, shorting, there is always a contract on the other side that is taking the opposite side bet. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah the money is there. We've seen some good uh, growth in their, their usage and stuff. I actually didn't pull it up for the show, but I should, uh, we'll show it at some other time with Bitcoin Cash Audits made some charts. We started analyzing the blockchain to show the growing values as people were getting more and more use out of it. And I think your little community is one example of, because you're not affiliated with BTH Bull, right? You've just started that independently yeah. and people are starting to get involved and, and <clears throat> use it. So clearly it's a useful product because there's also opportunities for people are involved. So I'm just saying listeners to the show, if you want to get involved in this, you can obviously at your own uh, discretion, do your own research, you know, yada, yada. But uh, you can essentially make money on the fact that either you can hedge or long at the right time, but also the premiums because the BCH bull wants to right. balance out who is hedging and who is going long, right? So you can get scenarios where they will essentially pay you to take one or another side of a bet if they're imbalanced. And then your risk on the bet is reduced because they're essentially giving you a, a discount to in, encourage that. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you've been, uh, I don't know, taking trading? Right, trading so... Right now, the premiums the premiums work a little differently than they did a few weeks ago. Um, so the way BCH bull worked about two weeks ago or about a week and a half ago, maybe, was um, you know if you wanted to have a long position for two hours, it was always kind of like a flat rate of like fifty bucks fees. And if you wanted to long for like a month, it was maybe two hundred bucks at the at the the high end. But um, I was very concerned about how that was working because I was creating so many long positions for, you know, two hours or a month. And I was thinking to myself, how do they have the liquidity for the other side? Because I was putting in a lot, a lot of capital. And then, you know, a week and a half ago, that actually changed where it's now you can kind of feel it. It's if if the if there is not that much money on the short side, you will see the the premiums go up on the long side. And if there's not that much money on the long side, right? So you'll see the difference in the premiums. And this has also been really cool because um, basically if you create a position right now on BCH bull and you see that there is a high uh, negative premium, meaning that they will pay you to create a position, um, you, you can take that. And especially for stabilizing your BCH, you're essentially saying, okay, here, I put $10,000 I'm going to stabilize it on BCH bull and maybe the premium that they're paying you is $500 They're saying, Hey, if you keep your money here for a month, we will pay you 500 bucks and you lose nothing. 
you you will get back the ten thousand dollars at the end of the month and we'll pay you a premium of five hundred bucks so no matter what you're getting back ten thousand five hundred dollars and i think for people who only use fiat that's that's amazing you're just you're just getting returns for doing nothing you just you park your money there for a month and and you're, you're getting paid um for people who are heavily invested in crypto and believe that crypto will go up uh you might not want to take that 500 dollars. You might, you might think no if i keep it in in bitcoin cash i'm going to make more than that 500 dollars because if bch goes up you know five percent my 10 grand will be uh well more than the the 500 that they're paying me for for uh for for hedging and so you can use bch bull however you like uh if you want to be risky you can obviously do the 5x uh longs and if you just want to stabilize if you're creating a a project where you have raised funds and you want to make sure that it stays you keep the the, the value in in the dollar value of the bcs that you've raised and you just you should hedge it and uh maybe you'll even make back more bch than uh than you put in because if the price of bch goes down then you actually make money on your hedges i mean yeah on your hedges yeah, and I think this is just amazing because this is this is doing two two really important things. One is it's providing economic incentives and reasons for people to come into the Bitcoin cash ecosystem in a sort of snowbally way, right? The more these uh, premiums are available, the more people that are going to try it out and be like, this is cool and I'm making money. And then the word is going to spread, you know, and then more people come in and then that increases the liquidity, which makes it a more useful tool for everybody and it uh, compounds on itself. So I think it's smart there. And it's also just amazing because it's the best example right now of on-chain smart, like, what do we call it? Smart transactions <laughs> with uh, which is going to be boosted up with cash tokens. The idea that okay, so we've got the smart BCH, smart contracts, and all that going on, but we can also have it going on main chain. And as uh, general protocols can prove out that model, hopefully we'll see more and more companies coming to build all kinds of different different tools in the same way. But you always need to have that that first uh, adopter who who proves it's possible and does some of the early work and creating the libraries and infrastructure and so on. And there's a lot of good work going on there, which the community is going to benefit from massively. So I also just wanted to bring this up in this episode because uh, obviously we talked about all the stable coins and all the risk of all the different financial system and everything collapsing, going to shit. Well, that's exactly the problem that this is solving. So I think we're in a good space in our ecosystem, having a innovative, you know, uh, solution focused on exactly that because it's only going to become more and more relevant over time. All right, we've got community comment of the week. Uh, it comes from Molecular. Shout out to Molecular, who is a frequent uh, chatter in the in the Telegram and I know has donated to the show in the past and stuff. Great, uh, great contributor, long time crypto OG. <laughs> so firstly, uh, he said, or use real crypto in the middle of a, a, another discussion and then quoted himself saying, Remember how people asked, but how can I swap it to real money? Looking forward to hear, but how can I swap CBDCs to real crypto? Uh, fucking fake fiat crypto. <laughs> so it was this point that uh, one of the early things you would hear over and over and because you still do to some extent if you're uh, introducing people as they say, how do I get back real money? Because to them, the crypto is not real. Their fiat is real and they're going to cash 
one out to the other. But as we see CBDCs on the rise, and as we see stable coins melting down and having problems, as people become more and more sophisticated about the financial environment there, and people are going to start to value real crypto, and crypto is going to be the real money because everybody's going to know, well, CBDCs can be censored or they can be deleted out of my account, or I might have my money in my bank account, but that might get uh, Silicon Valley banked away on a, a weekend when I'm not paying attention. So the narrative is is flipping in that regard. And I think that's a very, very bullish uh, thing. What do you think? I think that this is a tremendous way of looking at uh, crypto. I, I think the more that people start utilizing crypto for transactions, they will start realizing that this is a real form of money. And right now, people still look at crypto as a way to just kind of make money, kind of like a stock market type thing where they're pouring money into something that they think will go up. But and and if you if you think of crypto in that way, you're going to just call it like, oh, you know, it's just it's it's fake money. It's putting monopoly money, what they say. And um, but but no, like eventually, like if, if people start utilizing these these cryptocurrencies if they start use, using bitcoin cash to pay for their meals pay for their rides pay for all the things that they buy on amazon they are going to start looking at it completely differently it's a way that you can have possession of your money and and have it available to you all the time without having to go to a bank and with ask for permission to withdraw your own money and ask for permission to even deposit money because i've had this problem too where i've i've had to go deposit money for uh for my parents and you know, I go to the bank and I say, okay, look, I have $10,000 in cash. Can I just deposit it? They say, no. What do you mean? No. Why can't I deposit money into my parents' accounts? Like, well, it's not your account. You can't deposit money into their account. You got to make a bank account. You, you got to have an account with us and deposit it into your account and then transfer from your account to their account. And if you want to make an account with us today, well, you got to schedule an appointment, come back like next week. And it's, it's a whole headache. Like what, what, what is going on? Like, I just want to deposit I just want to deposit the money into the account so I can spend it on, on things like it. And the way, the, the way, the way, uh, the economy works nowadays is everything is virtual. Everything you do it online. So you don't want to ha carry a fiat currency. And when I'm out with my friends and we're splitting, splitting the bill at a restaurant and I'm like, Oh yeah, here's $40 in cash for my part. They're like, ah, oh, cash. Can't you just Venmo me or send it me on PayPal or something or a cash app? Like, I don't want to have cash and I have to go to the bank and deposit it and then turn it into virtual currency. Whereas crypto solves this whole issue. It's, it's virtual currency. You just, you can use it for anything and uh, you don't have to ask for permission from anybody to, on how you spend it. And you don't have to be worried that the bank might, there might be a bank run and you don't have your money. Um, so yeah, of course, uh, in my, in my mind, uh, crypto is real money and fiat is fake money it's it's monopoly money it looks exactly like monopoly money too so <laughs> uh looks don't lie uh, <laughs> so we got meme of the week as well uh this one i've uh, called it krugman's revenge it comes from uh fubar who has uh got two quote tweets from Paul Krugman. So Paul Krugman is this very famous economist who is very well known, especially in cryptocurrency, because in 2014, 2015, 2016, he spent a lot of time bashing away on Bitcoin, saying it was never going to work. It was a Ponzi scheme. It was guaranteed to fail, blah, blah, blah. And of course, the Bitcoin community at that time were like, you know, this is just exactly the same as everybody saying the internet isn't going to work. And here we are a few years later. And of course, 
crypto has had a lot of problems, a lot of ups and downs, but it's still here, still kicking ass. And uh, Paul Krugman has been proved completely wrong, but he has illustrated that uh, problem himself. There's a tweet here from January the 21st, 2018, and he wrote, cryptocurrency lets you make electronic transactions, but so do bank accounts, debit cards, PayPal, Venmo, etc. All these other methods involve trusting a third party, but unless you're buying drugs, assassinations, etc., that's not a big deal. So that was his position then. And then he made a tweet March 8th, 2023, just the other day. He said, too busy to tweet, but not to vent. I've been using Venmo for years, but now it won't allow me to make payments. I spent a long time in chat with representatives and they told me they can't explain why or fix it. The software has taken control, end quote. So FUBAR has just uh, highlighted this hypocrisy by putting those two tweets next to each other and saying, it's a miracle these people can tie their own shoes. And that's essentially what it comes down to, right? The whole point of crypto, the whole value of uh, permissionless money, blah, 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 blah. So many people, and like Paul Krugman is a classic one, see there's no need for it. My existing solution works fine. Well, it works fine until it doesn't. And then suddenly shoes on the other foot. But of course, I, I doubt he'll be making uh, you know a big admission that Bitcoiners were right the whole time anytime soon. But his actions speak louder than his words. And it was just funny because a lot of people piled in and said, so were you buying drugs or assassination? Because <laughs> apparently those are the only two things you need it for. But <laughs> sounds like he's going to need it too because he, he can't buy shit with his Venmo account anymore. <laughs> so, uh, that, one, that one just gave me a good laugh. All right, message to the community. I kind of asked you earlier, so it's kind of cheating. But uh, in light of everything that we've we've discussed today, what what does the Bitcoin Cash community need to hear? What's what's on their agenda coming up for twenty twenty three? You think? Right, I think that the Bitcoin Cash community should keep focused on what we're doing, which is be peer to peer cash for the world. Keep uh, sending out this message uh, that pe- people should be spending their BCH um and supporting their local vendors keep trying to spread the word and of course um try to be you know more accepting of all the other communities as well because crypto is an is a community that we we kind of all rise together and there are definitely going to be of various camps of course everyone has their own crypto that's their favorite but um you know try to be accepting of everybody's points of view and just you know share your own and hopefully eventually you know people will start becoming more friendly towards the bitcoin cash camp and um, we will start seeing more people use crypto the way it was meant to be used it's just as as a decentralized form of money absolutely all right well that will pretty much do it for the show then uh i know the listeners have been waiting extra long for this episode there's been a bit of a bigger gap between this last uh, episode and, and this one that i would have liked to try and do an episode uh, about every two weeks or, or 10 days but this one took a bit of extra i was in germany jet was kind of busy so we had some other stuff going on but we delivered it now and we'll try and get you another uh, big episode soon as well but thank you all to the listeners for the patience with that i hope you enjoyed the little uh origin stories clips that we put out to sort of tide you over how i got into bitcoin how jack got into bitcoin take a listen to those if you're interested in that 
I've got to thank the patrons as always, Ricky and HP, legendary. Thank you very much. And also shout out to our new sponsor, General Protocols. Check out bchbull.com and uh, you already got some hot tips from uh, Dino Pawns on how to <laughs> operate best with that, obviously. Uh, treat it responsibly, know what you're getting into. And of course, not your keys, not your coins as always. So only use a small amount of uh, funds and make sure you're very familiar with how the contract locks the coins and then and then mm-hmm. sends them back to you uh, for sure. So just you know, start small and easy way into it. Thank you also to all the donators on the on the show. Check out the Start Guide FAQ links at BitcoinCashPodcast.com. Uh, points where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at, at DinoPons or YouTube uh, DinoPons as well. So that's D-I-N-O-P-A-W-N-Z. And we'll that's put, correct. Uh, yeah. Links links in the chat below. Do you want to give anyone a special shout out? Yeah, I mean, a special shout out to the entirety, the entire BCH community and uh, everyone who's working on their, their own projects and, and building and uh, working on bettering the ecosystem. Uh, shout out to you guys. Do I have a shout out? Uh, Bitcoin Cash TV, again, just crushing it. I is obviously waiting for us to stream, gets his stream in early, then rated us with 27 viewers to start things off. So I'm just benefiting massively from his hard work in building up a Twitch TV community. So thank you very much. I I really appreciate that. And thank you to all the people in the chat as well too. We uh, mixed in a few comments, it's been, been some good ones uh, today. So hope you're all enjoying the show. Thank you very much. And until next time.